the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Is it okay to fire people over email? And then we're joined by author Stephen Arterburn, author of Every Believer's Thought Life. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon Aubrey next week is spring break here in <gasps> Illinois I know so we are we are getting closer your family doesn't do anything for spring break though do you well not like as a principal we just aren't doing anything for spring break but I don't feel like you have the couple years that I've known you I don't really feel like you guys is that true a, I don't think you guys are a spring break family like, we, we always try to get away we're a big summer family and so I think spring break comes around and we're like oh we don't have money because we're thinking about summer so mm-hmm. that might be why but we have gone on spring okay. break things in the past okay well spring break is coming which again you can start to see summer from there you can start to see the end of the school year uh it is coming so hopefully you've got some big plans out there but we are glad that you are joining us okay Aubrey I want to start by talking about proper etiquette Ooh. with Hard conversations. How's that sound for a that setup? That sounds really fun and difficult, and I'm afraid I'll fail at all the etiquette we're supposed to use. Google. Have you heard of them? Mm, a little company little called company, Google. little boutique store called Google. They have always been known as one of the best places to work. Like when oh. you when you look at those lists, best employers, best places to work, right? They've got the, the pool tables and the ping pong tables oh. and the, one the, of those the cool smoothie offices. bars yeah, and all this stuff. And probably everyone's... If they have cubes, they're cool. They're decorated. Yes. They're streamlined. They're yes. I yes. Do you want to know what happened there in January? Mm, what? I think it was back in January. Yeah, back in January, twelve thousand people were laid off by Google in a day. Twelve thousand? Do we know why? Uh, it just cuts money. You know, yeah, it's, sure, uh, it's sure. downsizing all of that stuff. So it happens. Places like Facebook, yeah. places like Twitter. Uh, and then just your regular companies, right? They have to let people go. And sometimes major, huge companies have to lay off large numbers of people. So that's not the huge surprise. Do you want to know what it is? Yes. The 12,000 people, some of whom had been there for a very long time. Uh-oh, what? Were laid off over email. <gasps> oh, sad. People, uh, they say the extent of the layoffs were staggering and by far the largest cuts in the company's history it was the way the cuts were handled that mm. stunned many inside and outside mm. the organization. It says, to many, Google's approach to layoffs, while not unique, seemed out of step with its renowned employee-centric culture. So you've got people who were there for a long time going, I heard there's layoffs. Did I get layoff? Then they get an email. People are emailing back and forth. Did you get an email? Did you get an email? So wow. you, and I, you and I work at much smaller places, churches the radio station, whatever else it might be. But my first thought was, I get it. You need to lay off Mm 12,000 people. But each of those 12,000 people has a supervisor. Each of them has somebody above them. 
some of these people have been at this place for a long, long time. time. This felt like everything that's wrong with how we use technology. I'll text think, a breakup. I'll email a firing. All of this kind I of stuff. I think the hard part is it's the number. 12,000 people. I hear what you're saying about them all having supervisors. That's all big number of people and so to even all those meetings like i could see how you get to a point where you're kind of like we cannot yeah we'll be in meetings for months if we have to do this we need we know it's coming let's just send it on out to the people who are getting it but i but the hard part is for those who have been there a long time and those who have you know that's where you'd want that personal touch to be used. It's it seems like they almost need to be able to categorize like okay, which employees have been here for this amount of time? Those employees, sorry, you just get an email. You haven't been here long enough. But those who've put a little more blood, sweat and tears could get the personal firing. The right. hard part is with 12,000 you have to wonder is that also the also the supervisors that oh, got for let sure. go, you for know? Sure. So it's like So some of the perks of Google cuz Google has been one of the Forefront things, uh, companies of employee centric office work, right? Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't they know have that. In office childcare, massages, laundry, and climbing walls wow. at their main office. But here's the Come bigger on. thing this got me thinking about churches, and let me tell you how. We like to say things at churches we are this. Mm-hmm. We are this. Mm-hmm. But our actions don't always match it. And people go, Oh, I thought you said you were about community, but now you're this. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said you were about yeah. the gospel, and now you're this. Yeah. Uh, Margaret O'Mara, she's a professor at University of Washington, and she's written a lot about Silicon Valley. She says, the fact that Google did all these layoffs by email, it says, reflects the problem that Google has become such a big company. That growth makes it, quote, particularly hard for Google to maintain its image that we're a kinder, gentler gotcha. capitalism. So people aren't necessarily saying other companies have let people off sure, by email. But when one of your values is word different, yeah. I don't think you can do that. And and I don't know how Google functions. I've never been part of a company like that. I have no it's idea. It's so hard to even imagine. But isn't this what the greater culture has been saying about the church for generations, but especially now? You say this, but you do this. You right, say this, right, but you do this. Right. And man, I can't think of anything. Like Google can't go to their people now and be like Hey, yeah, but we're an employee-centric place. Right. No, they can't. They have to say, sorry, we did something that was uh, efficient over employee-centric, and they just have to own that. Absolutely. I, You know, it, it also strikes me about you would mentioned the size of a corporation like Google. And if we're going to take us to the church, like a conversation about a mega church, mm-hmm. mega company, I just wonder at what point we all kind of as humanity go, okay, these massive organizations, whether it's a ministry or a business, are no longer what we want. Yes. Like, is there something about not scalability, but small, simple, effective, that it's going to be more of a value for us going forward. I don't know. That almost feels impossible to reverse, especially in a place like Silicon Valley or in the tech industry. But um, I mean, you remember a couple of years ago, it is uh, wild I, I to won't think name about. the church, but a, a large church here in the Chicagoland area let off overnight a third of their staff. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember everyone being like, 
it was jarring because yes. churches don't do that. Right, right. And it was like a third of this. And it felt like this, just kind of like, well, we got to get under budget. We got to get there. It does also speak to churches being organizations versus, you know, families, like how we like to talk oh, about it. I know. It's so, can I say something, though, on the flip side? Can yep. you imagine if you're the the guy who has to fire a hundred people in a day like you just sit in your office and you're like next Next. (laughs) like Like, that's brutal right that is a brutal role to be in the one who has to fire everybody or if people knew that it was coming like the rumors start going around Uh can you imagine the tension no everyone would be using the massage place oh yeah they would probably people just weren't going into work that day just like hey if i get fired i'm not going in yeah Yeah. I, i guess the lesson from we always try to make lessons for the church and for the christian here is like be careful what you say your values are. Mm. Like Google maybe thought back in the day will always be this we'll mom and pop centric. Yeah, yeah, we'll be this. Yeah. And then there comes be careful. Like for churches, it's better not to say we're a different kind of community that this is and then not be able to live up to it yeah. than not say it at all. Yeah. And it feels like this is where the call of hypocrisy comes from. Yeah, I I do wonder, or maybe the better call is actually, instead of be careful what you say, just be really mindful to live into it, like yes. forever. Like don't, I mean, not that you can't change and transition and come up with new things that are values at your church, but if if you say you are about this thing, be about this thing and be regularly engaging and and gauging, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yep. Are we still about this thing we said we were? That's right. Where have where are we missing? Where are we, you know, those strategy questions? What's missing? What needs to be improved? What's wrong? Like evaluate those regularly to know are we actually living into the values that we yep. say we a spouse the as good a church news is that somebody who got let go of Google, they know how to search for new jobs. <laughs> Are they mad enough though that they're like on Yahoo? They're like, we won't search for jobs on Google anymore. <laughs> we're going to Safari today. To find tech jobs not on Google. Firefox is what we're using. <laughs> they're, they're all over. The, I would use any search engine but Google. <laughs> I'm going to Internet Explorer there's, with a Microsoft. There's, a, there's just a rush on AOL accounts. All these Gmail accounts being done away with. Posting their resume to MySpace. That's right. That's oh, right. good times. Coming up next, we're excited to be joined by author Stephen Arterburn to talk about his new book, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. We're going to talk to Stephen Arterburn next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined uh, by the author of a new book. This book just came out in January called Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. The author of that new book is Stephen Arterburn. Stephen, how are you doing today? Really well, and uh, good to be with you, Aubrey and Brian. Thanks for having me on. It's absolutely, so uh, yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. Let's just start uh, big picture, what is this book about, and why did you decide that this is what you wanted to write about? Well, um, Marcus Brotherton is the co-author, and he is a New York Times best-selling author. And um, we, the last book we wrote, one book of the year, and we thought, okay, so what are we going to do that might have the biggest impact? And definitely, no question about it, thought life is what. We all have. We all struggle with it. It determines our attitudes, our feelings, and and really what we think about God and what we think about ourselves is, well, we want to get that right. Mm-hmm. So Every Believer's Thought Life, uh, I think it's the best book that I've been a part of, and 
I hope people will see the need to look at what you're thinking about. For instance, a lot of people, your identity is one of shame or something from your past. And here Jesus has gone to a lot of trouble for that not to be your identity. (laughs) And the Bible says that God is rich in mercy. So, you know, I had a lot of shame and I, I pressured a young woman to pay for an abortion. And I just thought, well, it was my job to you know, let people know I, no one was more ashamed than I was and let God know. But then I heard Chuck Swindoll say, your past just ended one second ago. So why would you live in it if you're a believer? And that really began the process of thinking differently. Satan was the one that wanted me to be wearing that shame around, not God. Mm. Stephen, one of the things that I know you write about in this book is kind of retraining your brain. And you talk about how the Bible provides an arsenal of weapons to win the battle of your mind. Can you give us an example of one or two of those weapons or even just ways to begin retraining your thought life? No, I can't. Say, <laughs> yes, I can. Now here. Okay, so, so many people have a struggle in their marriage from time to time, as I have from time to time. So I turn, like in those times, uh, I'll turn a little self-indulgent mumbling and grumbling to myself into what God wants, what the Bible says. He wants us to pray without ceasing. So rather than say, oh, God, that is just unfair, I go, wait. And then I go, God, I'm feeling, now I'm talking to God, not complaining to myself. God, I'm feeling that was unfair. Please help me to adapt and to accommodate, to accept, and and to see that I'm the one that's not Mm -hmm. fair so many times. So now I'm praying. I'm praying now, not mumbly to myself. So you turn the negative thing into the positive thing based on what God wants, not what comes natural to you. Mm. Uh, And in the book, Stephen, I know you also talk about heavenly wisdom versus willpower. Like a lot of us think when it comes to defeating our thoughts or uh, getting our thought life under control. It's just about willpower. I just have to try harder. But you talk about heavenly wisdom. Can you explain and talk about heavenly wisdom and how it's greater than our willpower? Well, you need willpower, mm-hmm. but you just don't have enough willpower. Mm. And so when one of the greatest things is when I can surrender and admit that I have an extreme limitation. And then when I know I can't do it myself, I'm looking to God. And, and here, here's what's ridiculous. You just keep trying harder. And I've found that trying harder just makes trying harder. <laughs> so, so I'm here I am doing that under my own power. And here God is in three, uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit can fill you with supernatural ability, your connection with God gives you power and peace. Jesus provides a pathway where he surrendered even though he was going to the cross. And and so when we start doing that now, things are very different than if I feel alienated from God, thinking I've gone too far, sinned too much, or I just neglect connecting with God. Mm-hmm. It's your choice. And if you think you're strong enough, and many people do, mm. Then uh, I say this in a very loving, loving way. 
Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. That's right. Um, The name of the book we're talking about is Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. We're talking with author Stephen Arterburn. Um, Okay, Stephen, one of the things I know you write about is unhealthy nostalgia, and I'm so interested in that because I find myself kind of a nostalgic person in general, and it is something that I battle. Can you talk about that? When is nostalgic unhealthy and uh, nostalgia unhealthy, and how do you begin disengaging? Well, there are two ways. One, um, nostalgia can be a fantasy world. Oh, you know, if only I could go back and, Mm. and live that again, and you know, if if you ever have a vacation on a white sand beach and all you think about is how great that was and how miserable this is today without the beach, well, then that's not healthy. Also, um, nostalgia can turn into regret. Mm. Oh, wow, you know, I, that was horrible, and, and I hate that, and I hate me and all that. But I try to avoid the memories and the stations in life that were so great, or I'm going to be miserable now. You know, I, I created this event called Women of Faith, and I'd walk into an arena. We we would have every seat filled in an 18,000-seat marina. Now that, uh, I mean, marina, we didn't drown people in an <laughs> arena. And, uh, and, so, and so, you know, that was just like one of the highlights of my life. We had 5 million women come and Mm-hmm. 500,000 accepted Christ over the, the length of women of faith. Wow. Now, awesome. I can try to live in that moment and and be miserable all the rest, or I can just look back and say, that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that God gave that to me. And now I can just be a normal person and not have that kind of amazing experience. It's all about what we do. And, and the first thing I think is really helpful is why don't you sit down and look at, and this is the key word, perspective. What's my perspective on my soul, on God, on the person I'm married to, my children? You know, and see where the negative, destructive thought patterns are. Because if you don't see it, you can't de- deal with it. And then, um, then talk to somebody mm. about that. Get clarity of, on it. Now I can accept responsibility, own it, and I can do something about it. But if I never sit down and really look and write down those things, I may never really get in touch with what are those thoughts that are so destructive for me. Mm, That's so good. Again, the book is Every Believer's Thought Life, the author Stephen Arterburn. Stephen, uh, as we let you go, you touched on this earlier, uh, but I would love for you to end with some encouragement to people who do feel riddled by guilt and by shame right now. Uh, You spoke about your own life, but there are some people who feel like they just can't get past what they've done. Could you uh, end our time here with just a little bit of encouragement for those people? Yeah, you know, um, Jesus knew that you were going to do what you did. Not 2,000 years ago when he was on the earth, but gillions of years ago. (laughs) Knew that you were going to do that. Mm. And he knew he was going to die for that sin. Now, you can believe that, mm. but if you, and if you don't believe that, are you fully trusting in Christ? Is he truly your Savior? And that's what I want for you. That's what Christ wants for you. God absolutely loves you. God isn't loving. God is love. Mm. Mm. And anything other than that, love, 
is not godly. You can do anything you want, but if it's not love, and that includes loving yourself, then it's not of God. Mm. Again, the book is Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. The author is Stephen Arterburn. Stephen, the book sounds phenomenal. Thanks so Mm -hmm. much for spending some time with us today. Well, I hope to join you again one day whenever you I, I rarely get asked back, but maybe this will be the exception. We, it will be. You you we this will is have the one, you back. Steven. This is the one. Great to talk to you. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to the common good. AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by Pastor author and the founder of an organization called Gracism Global. His name is Dr. David Anderson. Dr. Anderson, how are you doing today? I'm alive and grateful. So good to be with you, Brian and Aubrey. It is so good to have you with us. Dr. Anderson, uh, your organization, Gracism Global, please tell us more about it. What is it that you guys do? Well, Gracism is a term that I coined many years ago when I wrote the book Gracism, The Art of Inclusion. And as a result of that book, uh, many organizations have called us in to help them deal with issues of diversity. Mm. And so we started Gracism Global many years ago to help uh, communities, colleges, cities, countries, wherever there's a deep divide, we come in with a, a group of trained leaders to try to help convene transformative conversations to bring solutions to whatever the division might be. Mm. Mm. So fantastic. And I, I'm over at your website right now, gracismglobal.com, for people who want to know more. It looks so incredible. Mm-hmm. Dr. Anderson, I, I want to hear more about the organization and even your book, but I do want to dive into the topic of the Silicon Valley bank collapse, because you wrote something so interesting that I thought was incredibly insightful and full of wisdom about how that might particularly impact black business owners. Can you talk to us about that? You know, when I used to go to to the Bahamas when we were uh, younger, my wife and I and our kids, we'd go sounds over to so the Bahamas. Sounds so nice, by the way. What is that? <laughs> that sounds so nice. <laughs> Doesn't it, right? Yes. So, you know, I'd go over to the Bahamas and preach or whatever. And they used to say in the Bahamas that when America sneezes, the Bahamas catches a cold. Hmm. And in a sense, I think it's this way as well with the African-American community. So when the banks fail, then those that are minorities, especially African-Americans, have a greater uh, impact, if you will. Hmm. So it's not always about racism. Sometimes it's just about impact Hmm. and the impact that comes when something like the banking crisis happens. And we start looking at wealth and minority businesses and things of that sort. You can begin to see how things have a greater impact on African-Americans. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Dr. Anderson, you wrote, uh, obviously, at the Washington Post as well. But I I, want to pick your brain about something really big, this idea of wokeness, this word woke. And you're all about building bridges. It feels like that word among every word in our country right now is being used to divide people. Right. And we put baggage on it. Can you just speak to that? Speak to our Christian audience about even just that word and and the division that it's causing. What's your perspective on that? My perspective is wokeness is nothing more than scapegoatism. Mm. (laughs) Wow. It really really is a scapegoat uh, because when we don't want to deal with the uh, difficult issues of division that come 
with our history and with what many other people may be dealing with today as it relates to racism, it's much easier to make black people, minorities, and those who are marginalized the scapegoat. Mm. And so basically, wokeism is scapegoatism. And, you know, what's wrong with being awake? When the right. Bible talks to us, it's t- it's saying, you know, wake up, oh sleeper. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. I-, I think being awake, being enlightened is mm-hmm. actually something good, taking something out of the darkness and bringing it to the light. And so for some reason, if being awake or wokeness is bad, then what really is the alternative? Hmm. hmm. I think that's the question right there. What's the alternative? So if we're going to we're going to say this thing and say, "Oh, you're just woke." Then we're not it sort of distances us from having to face reality. And so I think that's a really good question. Then what's the alternative? Yeah. And the alternative is ignorance? Yeah, right, Uh, right. uh, Put your head and be an ostrich. Like, we don't say that about anything else that's a social issue unless it has to do with race. Yeah, I mean, if it doesn't have to do with race, if it has to do with abortion, we want to talk about it. If it has to do with homosexuality, LGBTQ, we want to talk about it. If it has to do with anything moral or sinful, we want to talk about it. But if it has anything to do with Mm. something that somehow comes against our conservative politics, then all of a sudden, it's wokeness. It's, and we forget all the other stuff. <laughs> I mean, you're so right, Dr. Anderson. Like, it is wild. It is wild to me how that happens. It's like a veil comes over and you just can't even have the conversation anymore. Exactly. Um, I want to hear about Grace Anomics because that's both a podcast you have and something that you do through Gracism Global. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So one of the chapters in the book, Gracism, The Art of Inclusion, we talk about Grace Anomics. And that is how do you extend grace to people with regard to wealth? And with regard to networks, and when we talk about sharing, and that comes out of one of eight sayings or principles of gracism, I will share with you. When we talk about sharing that particular principle, um, we're not talking about, I have a, I have a pie, I'm going to cut a slice so Aubrey can have some, and I'm going to cut a slice so Brian can have some. That's not necessarily a concept of sharing that we talk about. Graceonomics has more to do with opening up networks so that you know how to not only make your own pie, but you know how to take that pie to market and make a, a good amount of money. So hmm. it's about empowering people. Hmm. That doesn't not, not that it doesn't mean you share with people what yeah. you have, but if I can open up a network for you so when I get a car, I go in and the dude treats me one way. But then Aubrey, as a female, you go in and he treats you a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, Graceonomics says, let me make that call to that same dealer and say, you know how you hook me up? I want you to hook my sister Aubrey up as well. Mm-hmm. That's Graceonomics. Love that. Oh, so much good stuff there. Dr. Anderson, uh, we've told you you're a pastor. Aubrey and I are pastors. Uh, what specifically are you, are you saying to pastors? Like, how do you help pastors say, Hey, we live in a crazy culture, but the church needs to be a bridge building place. Uh, What are your words of wisdom to pastors who might be listening right now? You know, Bridgeway Community Church that I started when I was 25 years old uh, is a very multicultural, non-denominational, contemporary style church. 
And I had this vision that I wanted a church where my white friend, Billy Brogan, could go to who I grew up with and my Asian friends, Hispanic friends. So now over like 60 different nations are thousands of people are worshiping the Lord. And I absolutely love it because it is truly the best uh, antidote to Mm -hmm. Racism. I can't say all white people are this way because half of them, are, you know, yeah. are my staff, you right. know, <laughs> people that love my family or I can't say that mm. Indians are this way or whatever. So it mm. just is a great antidote to ignorance because usually a lot of that racism comes from ignorance. Yeah. Having said all that, and I know it's a long answer to your specific question, yeah. but what it does is it gives us the, I hate to use word expertise, but it gives us the insight and wisdom to know how to help others that have not gone down this road. Yeah. And so one of the things that Gracism Global can do is be consultants to churches who are trying to figure out how do I deal with the diversity that's moving into my town Mm -hmm. or how do I deal with uh, trying to reach other people groups and they're right around me, but I don't know how to build that bridge. And so helping folk understand uh, the diversity of ministry is important because otherwise you have the black church on one corner, the white church on another corner, a Spanish speaking church that's using one of the churches or a Chinese (laughs) church. And here we are, the body of Christ, Mm. all going to be worshiping at the feet of Jesus, but we can't even get along on the earth. Wow. Wow. So to to be a part of bringing some of that kingdom to earth now, I feel like is the heart of what you're talking about. Dr. Anderson, for our pastors that are listening or for people who just want to engage more in this conversation, where can they find and follow you? Where can they find more about Gracism Global? Well, they surely can go to gracismglobal.com. They can follow me on social media at Anderson Speaks. Uh, as well as Gracism Global. They can find me almost anywhere if you put in Dr. David Anderson. And Dr. Anderson, before we let you go, you were telling us off air, you've got some local ties. Uh, You were the first African-American president of the student body of Moody Bible Institute. Did I get that correct? You got that absolutely correct. uh, God bless the school that D.L. Moody founded, you know, and, (laughs) you know, I went there and became the president of the student body, quite popular at the time, and then served on the board uh, for the alumni board, uh, and then became the president of the alumni board. Wow. Uh, done a lot of fundraising for them, sent a lot of alumni their way. I love Moody, as well as Cabrini Green, where I worked for years uh, when it was a, a really difficult place to live. Mm. And of course, I was an intern for two years full time at Willow Creek Community Church nice. out in South Barrington, Illinois. So I'm very mm. familiar with the Chicago. Yeah, you are. Area, and I love it. That's awesome. That's great. That's we got to bring awesome. you back sometime. You better. I'd be mad at you if you don't. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Dr. Anderson's book, Gracism, the Art of Inclusion, uh, is coming out through IVP on May the 9th. We would encourage people to go pick that Mm -hmm. up. Dr. Anderson, this has been a ton of fun. We'll do it again. Thanks for spending some time with us. I hope so. Blessings to you, friends. You too. You as well. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.